Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always. <laughs> you hear how exasperating this, all of this is, Jason? It's just I like, can't. he's here again. It's Jason Justin yelling. <laughs> it's, it's like as he's inescapable. Inescapable. I'm so glad we both feel the same way. <laughs> oh, the thing is, this fucking guy again. I don't, I don't want to escape you, though, Jason. <laughs> I don't think I've ever sworn this early in an episode. It's, it's the end of 2021. You're going to get the early swears. Oh, wow. You, you know, for a Scotsman, I'm surprised. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Joshua Hatton, Jason Johnson Yellen. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> okay. When was the last time mm-hmm. you saw Sister Act 2? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That, you know, in my list of what could Jason possibly ask me <laughs> next uh, list, uh, when the last time I saw Sister Act Two was not among the the questions, and so. But but in my defense, yeah. given how poorly the Raymond Carver John Cheever conversation went before we hit record, I thought going whoopy was a little safer. So what you're saying is Sister Act One is more like the the, the Cheever. And Sister Act 2 is the, what's the other guy? Chivas Regal? What's his name? Chiver? Chives. Yeah. I would, I would definitely not compare the work of American genius Raymond Carver to Sister Act 2. <laughs> Sister Act 1 was all right. It was, it was more than I thought it could be. Yeah. Sister Act 2. So, so answer the question. Answer the question. I will answer When question. did you last see Sister Act 2? I'm going to answer it in a very slightly circuitous manner. I first saw, <laughs> I first saw Sister Act one sometime during the pandemic. Interesting. There were so many people, you know, that movie. And what's the other one with Ralph Macchio and the guy from the Munsters and Marissa Torme? Sister Act two. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, the one with like, you know, the youths. Joe Pesci was in it. My cousin, my Vinny? cousin Vinny. So Sister Act and my cousin Vinny, and probably my big fat Greek wedding, all are within this. And I'm like I said, I'm going to answer your question. All fit within this this silo of movies that people cannot say enough good things about and always suggest that I watch them. But when I do, I'm severely disappointed. And so actually the, 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 the first one that, that people had suggested over and over and over and over again was National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Boy, mm. did I hate that. Boy, did I think that was a steaming pile. Compared to the first... European yeah. vacation. Eh. Yeah. So when that hat, like when that, and to this day, right? You're not on Facebook. I am. And so I see people, you know, with these, these Facebook posts saying, if you can't quote X number of things from this movie, then you should unfriend me. And this is the best movie ever. And I didn't dislike it 
because I don't celebrate Christmas. I just didn't like it because the humor didn't hit me the way it hit everybody else. So, to really answer your question, Sister Act was in that silo of everybody said you should watch it, and I was hesitant because of that experience with Christmas Vacation. And when I watched it, I was pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed it. At a scale from 1 to 10, I'd give it a 7.3. It was a lot of fun, incredibly predictable, but fun as hell. (laughs) And a 1990s (laughs) musical comedy with Whoopi Goldberg was predictable, you say? (laughs) Get out of town. And it was good enough for me to say, you know what? Maybe I should watch the second one, knowing that the second one would likely be a lesser film than the first. So I still haven't seen it, but I'm open to seeing it. Interestingly, and I'm, I was really quite stunned when you said a moment ago that you saw the first one during the pandemic. Yeah. I really thought you would have been a an at-the-cinema kind of kid. I, I know love how much Whoopi. you love going to the cinema. I love the cinema and, and I love, love Whoopi. Whoopi. Yeah. Right? So I, I really thought you'd have seen Sister Act way back at its release. I'm, I'm quite shocked that it's a pandemic view for you. You'll be less shocked to know that I saw Sister Act for the very first time this December, this month. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Actually, actually one week ago, right? I knew you wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> and, and I expected it to be not very good. And it was pretty good. But... The boys had said, my my two boys had said, next week, can we watch Sister Act 2? They Hmm. do not like sequels. They do not watch sequels. They dismiss sequels as the cash grab that they often are. Interesting. And they requested to see Sister Act 2, which I was very surprised So we actually watched it last night, our Saturday pizza and movie night that we do on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Sister Act 2 was already decided, which in itself is a wonderful thing. One of the things I hate about pizza and movie night is the squabble over which Uh, movie are we going to watch? Who gets to select? Who selected last time? What do mum and dad want to watch? It's all so much bullshit on a weekend when I should just be drinking. And so... (laughs) We go into the weekend knowing it's Sister Act 2, hit play on it. First half of it Mm -hmm. is like a 1990s after-school special, which our our American friends will know exactly Mm -hmm. what I'm alluding to. It's it's heavy-handed. Heavy-handed. The nuns and the choir aren't nearly as endearing as they were in the first movie. It's, it's pretty hard going. The ending, you already know it. Yeah, at this point, you, you understand what the ending is going to be about halfway to three quarters of the way through the movie mm. because I think the writers didn't know what the ending was going to be when they started writing it. Uh, I think they found the ending about halfway to three quarters of the way through as mm. well. But I tell you what, it was an easy watch. It was fun in parts, and it filled up an hour and 42 minutes of my life So while I drank. You may remember, you actually, wow, maybe you definitely remember. I remember 
back in late 2010, early 2011, when when we when we were looking to launch this company, and you'd said to me, <laughs> if I ever come to you and say a good thing about Sister Act Two, know that it's a cry for help. I, I was blinking while I was telling you as well, if you'll notice. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's nothing wrong with with mindless film watching with the family. They, like a movie doesn't have to be a masterpiece. It could just be a good bit of fun, even if you know what's going to happen. You're having fun, right? I'm going to tie it to whiskey here, right? People always ask us. Should I put ice in the the whiskey? Should I not put ice in the whiskey? Should I add a couple of drops? Is it okay if I add a little soda? You know, can I do this with Coke? And in the end, you say, did you buy the bottle with your money? Yes, I did. It's your whiskey. You can enjoy it however you like. It's your prerogative. So there's nothing wrong with that. So I feel as if Sister Act 2 may be... It may be a just like an easy space cider, maybe with a little bit of ginger ale going on. And you're like, yeah, you know what? It's all right. Are you ready for my bombshell? Oh, shit. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know what's in production right now? Sister Act 3, the Holy Trinity. You're exactly correct. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? There's a third. There's going to be a third sister act. They're talking about it being released exclusively to Disney+. Plus. Oh, my gosh. Come on, Whoopi. You have the view money. You don't need any more nun money. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine they backed up the money truck for Sister Act 3 being an exclusive to Disney+. Plus. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't hold a grudge against her for saying yes to Sister Act 3 at all. (laughs) <laughs> and guess what? The Johnston Yellen family will be watching it upon release. <laughs> wow. Wow. Are they blink, gonna are they blink gonna blink, hit- blink 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 blink? <laughs> <laughs> are they gonna keep the gimp scene, do you think? For Disney Plus? Uh, I don't know. I, I know they asked the question about Zed and uh, and whether Zed was dead or not. I know that much. Zed is dead and he's he's gone to heaven now, do three Hail Marys and uh, call me in the morning. I think that's how you do it. <laughs> that is how Hail Marys work. You're exactly correct. <laughs> so, speaking so of. So, here we are. Yes, yeah, here speaking we are. Speaking of tenuous connections. Is there here a comes tenuous one? Sort of. I mean, I guess you could tie Mary to Jesus, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at one time. Look at you. Pro move. Oh. Pro move. <laughs> listen, 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 listen. Talk about Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Let me tell you about Tel Aviv. For the first time since, <laughs> literally for the first time since March of 2020, specifically March of 2020, uh, I welcomed an impact supplier to the States. Now, in March 2020, I had David Cover of Pendaren with me and... We were in Chicago and, you know, just sort of bopping around the Midwest. And if I'm not mistaken, we actually posted a show, an episode from that trip. So that, so I know there is an episode with David. It may have been that one. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. But just not in the car. It wasn't a car one. No. I don't think it was. I was thinking no. there was a car It was a car one. one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a car okay. one. Yeah. 
I thought there was a car one beyond the one we did with Ollie. Yeah. Um, and I did a car one with James Wills as well. Oh. Yep. yep. And speaking of, I had in my car, I welcomed to my car, uh, Tal Hotner and Tomer Gorin of M&H Distillery. They flew in from Israel, triple vaccinated, as soon as our, uh, our great nation would allow vaccinated travelers in, they came in. And I had them for a week. We talked about it a little bit in a previous episode when I was talking about uh, uh, the Kosher Fest event and that guy who came to our Mm. table saying, Mm -hmm. you put cognac in a barrel, it's whiskey. You put vodka in a barrel, it's rye whiskey. (laughs) There's been some wild feedback from that part of the last episode. Like People just (laughs) eyes like saucers in hearing that. Like He said... What? He said what? He was fighting someone up? What? Mental. Absolutely. That really resonated. That was a great story. It was something else. So so I got to spend a, a week with with them. Um, and, and the first part of it was New York, New Jersey. And then we had to travel to upstate New York. And then we were in and around upstate New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. And during our trip from Massachusetts back down to Connecticut, I broke out our recording equipment and had a conversation with with these guys, which seemed, it kind of seemed like an anachronism. And, and by that, I mean, by that, I mean the conversation overall, which you'll hear, you know, we really go into the launch of the brand and the creation of classic and then the the three elements range and then their apex series and it's really talking about the launch but the mm-hmm. thing is the launch happened a year ago mm. right i as 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 an employee of impex and you know as someone who who works with the entire sales impex sales team We've been selling M&H, Classic, and Elements, and Apex for a while now. It it almost feels a bit old hat. And so as we're talking (laughs) about this, we're talking about it in such a way that it's a new launch when it isn't. It just so happened to be that they couldn't come into the States for us to have this conversation. They couldn't go Mm. around the world to have this conversation with people. So while it does feel anachronistic by by a year, it was nice to have this conversation because, you know, you're hearing about the creation of these whiskeys from the horse's mouths and in a really cool way. I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting hearing their approach to making the whiskeys, hearing how they had to deal with COVID when they wanted to launch, you know, there's a lot going on in this conversation, but I think overall it kind of focuses on the creation of the range, which we don't normally focus on. You know, we're right. I was just thinking that as you were describing this. Yeah. Right. But because we, you know, anytime we interview someone, it's not to say, Hey, here's a platform to sell your whiskeys. That's not it. Correct. However, 
However, this is not the first time, but one of the few times where we're talking to a distillery that had just launched it. And what do they have to talk about? Exactly this, right? This is the story that they're trying to tell. And so I didn't want to derail them from that in any way. But I also think as an industry podcast, we have conversations about getting labels approved by the TTB. (laughs) We've had conversations about logistics and what it means to be unable to get your hands on glass right now, or what it means to get your, you know, difficulties with getting your product moved around the world right now to talk about the launch of a new series or a range in time of covid yeah why would you not discuss that with them i think it's absolutely spot on good so I'm, i i got no qualms about the topic none at all good i'm i'm glad you you felt that way and that was the spirit going into it but I, I just, I wanted to make it clear to you. I wanted to make it clear to the listeners, you know, yes, I may be an employee of Impex Beverages, but this is, you know, we're, we're not just giving them a platform to, to sell their product. We were giving them a platform to talk about their product, right? And yeah, I'm, made, so. I am curious, was there any rain while you were on the road? <laughs> There was, oh my gosh, at one point. There's always rain when we do these. <laughs> at one point, it was pissing down. Oh my goodness. Was, I remember that from David Cover. Yeah, it was just, it was harsh. And, <laughs> and you know, it's funny. They were just talking, and I think it gets mentioned in the podcast. You know, November is when winter starts in Israel. And, and what's winter in Israel? You're not really getting a lot of snow except up, you know, in the upper Galilee, but but it really is the start of the the colder weather and the rainy season. And it was in the 90s Fahrenheit, right? So in the 30s mm-hmm. Celsius and dry. And it's just, they kept on saying, I don't, I don't, I, unlike Game of Thrones, winter is, winter is not coming. <laughs> not to Israel. <laughs> I, ever since you've said Upper Galilee, I just think of that being the gentrified area of Galilee. <laughs> like that? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has an underbite and went to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's, should we hop over, give this a listen, share it with the listeners? Yeah, let, let's do that. We'll come back, and then we have a little bit of a treat for our listeners afterwards, something that we've wanted to to do on wax, which I'm really excited to do with you, um, which <laughs> can be taken in a series of ways, but not in the way it you're thinking. can. God. <laughs> <laughs> what have I signed up to? <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. Look at that. We are, we're officially recording, gentlemen. Can you believe that? Ah, we do? Okay. How are you? Good morning. Uh, good morning. How are you? Um, not bad. I've been traveling America for the East Coast for the last six days or something mm-hmm. like that, when, something. while Tomer was asleep. Uh, are, are you awake, Tomer? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm awake. <laughs> So, uh, so, so I've got the the wonderful two of my 
I call them secretly. I haven't told them this, but I've been in my mind calling Tall and Tomer TNT. Yeah. Like dynamite. Woo. TNT. <laughs> uh, so Tall and Tomer from Milk and Honey again. Last time I was with you, at least. No, this is true. The last time I was with you well, was in Tel Aviv. In Tel Aviv, yeah. It was on your home turf. And, and now I have you in my home turf of beautiful, rainy, uh, cold Connecticut. Yeah, it's not that cold. We, it's, you know, it's the worst winter for us, probably. But uh, there's no winter in Israel this year. So we, you know, we actually missed some rain, some uh, cold weather and, and some uh, fresh air and, and gray sky. We yeah. really liked it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, 30 degrees in Tel Aviv Celsius today, and it's November. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah I could not handle that. Well, I, I could, and I have done. Short time. But that was in June, not in November. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when, when I was with you both last, it was uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. And at that time, uh, there was no covid Uh, there were no travel restrictions, but there was also no whiskey from you guys. It was all less than yeah, that's three right. years old. Actually, yeah, we had only young single malts since then. Yeah. And at the beginning of 2020, we just launched the classic, our classic whiskey, the first commercial whiskey. And uh, then the world shut, shut down. <laughs> yeah. So... so Tell me what that's like, you know, finally having a product to sell and, and basically changing your, your model on how to sell that whiskey. What, what, what was that like? And, and, and um, yeah, what was that like? <laughs> I think that there, there is two things. First of all, we finally had whiskey, so we were... going to be judged by our whiskey by our quality and not by the gimmick uh, that you find a five months or a one-year-old spirit very very old like because of our climate so but which was finally, nice it was great but but then we lost our, our gimmick edge and now we just have whiskey and we have to be very good for that mm-hmm. uh, so we launched a whiskey at the beginning of um, 2020 like uh, Thomas said uh, we had few launchings just think about that if you are um, I know a car manufacturer and you finally producing your first car and then no one can buy it or <laughs> or you can never uh, promote it or go and show people yeah. how the, your car is your whole company life is going to uh, focusing on the point with yours finally going to have a product finally going to have a whiskey and then we couldn't do anything um, so it was it was very hard but I think uh, you know as we we think very fast so I think we were the first one to Uh, ship all over the world all kinds of uh, miniatures and oh, uh, tasting okay. kits and we adopted the the zoom way of life which is probably much more tiring to, than to go all day long do one or two hours of zoom or do a six master class of back to back I think zoom is more exhausting it is exhausting there's no doubt about it you know we we've talked about it zoom fatigue yeah zoom fatigue you know? so so yeah I think we had finally we had whiskey and we needed to be very very innovative and very very fast so because You know, we're not a big company with huge marketing budget. For us, it's boots on the ground, travel, 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 and put liquid on lips. It was very hard, but I think that we were very innovative with the Zoom and very, you know, making a little bit of buzz all the time. 
I think that what helped us was uh, the Whiskey Advocate magazine picked our whiskey to be one of the world best 20 and uh, our, our classic. And yeah. it was yeah. making another buzz so we could open some new markets. I think we opened over around 15 markets via Zoom <laughs> without meeting the people. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Do you... Do, I, 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 there's other things that I want to talk about, but if, if we could stay on this for a little bit, do you feel as if that is just now part of your business moving forward? You know, fast forward five years from now, and there's no, no co- hopefully no COVID five years from now, but is this a, a new way to do more business without traveling so much, or, or do you think you'll get back to the travel because you need to be doing that? Hopefully well, not. Hopefully I, it's not going to be like that. Yes, Domer. I don't think we will uh, give away travels, uh, give uh, past traveling, and um, we will continue to travel. But uh, also I think it's a new tool that we discovered. I think everyone discovered it, and uh, it won't going to disappear. It's like what we're doing now. We're going to retailers, to wholesalers, mm-hmm. uh, uh, meeting uh, distributors. This is something you don't do on Zoom. Yeah. Uh, what you do on Zoom is when your um, products are deployed in the market, so you go to the end consumer because sometimes uh, it, it's like going into whiskey shows and have a lot of people trying your your stuff. But business to business, it's really hard to do that on Zoom because uh, I think nothing like nothing beats traveling but yeah. it's an other it's an a, I think an added tool that all of us in the whiskey business will adopt sure so it's 2020 and you you've launched classic that's one product that's hard enough <laughs> then you launched the elements series then bam the elements <laughs> the what it was a, a boom <laughs> big boom okay um, yeah we launched one element, uh, the sherry one first, and then other two during same year, and and then even one of the Apex uh, series, the small batch series, and it was all well we can't travel, um, but you know you you don't think about that because you have your everyday struggle with the, mm. the kids are in school or not in school, you're not um, um, the regulations or restrictions are easing off or or another lockdown, and you know in Israel everything works very fast. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think yeah. we're the first one to get the first, the second, and even the third booster. Um, so, yeah, we actually launched at the same year five whiskeys, which was crazy. Is is launching five whiskeys during a year of COVID the same as launching one whiskey in a year of COVID? Or, um, or were there extra challenges to do that? I think both, because um, first of all, when you have only one whiskey and you want to launch it and you can't travel and let people taste and give them some cask samples so you have enough in, enough uh, uh, content for, uh, for a mini masterclass or mm. just for tasting. With one whiskey, it's really hard to do uh, a proper, let's say, a masterclass via Zoom. Uh, but when we do have uh, four of them I'm not talking now about the Apex because it came later and it's different but four yeah. of them, the core range the uh, Classic and Three Elements I think we, we had a package already and uh, it was easier to ship more uh, pallets because you know every 
less uh, less products you ship, it's going the, the cost of the shipping is is higher per bottle. Uh, uh, yeah. But the information, the launching of every one of those was very hard to begin with. This in the COVID time but again it was another excuse to talk to your customers mm-hmm. and to get them going to get them interested in, in another thing and of course it's it's amazing this year finally when we are standing in a whiskey show you all of a sudden two years ago people saw us with uh, Young Single Malt maybe a few uh, cask samples and now we're standing with like in Paris with seven whiskeys amazing that's just amazing so you know, I, I imagine there's a good number of our listeners who, who, of course, heard of milk and honey, may not have had a chance to taste it because, and this is actually to, to a point you had made when we were just visiting our, our, our friend Sean at a retail shop we were just at, where during COVID, people are going for the familiar bottle, not necessarily going for the new bottle. And so... Tomer, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you constructed classic and then and then you added on these three elements and, and what the goal is for these for these different whiskeys. For for those listening at home that haven't had the chance to taste the whiskeys, how did you construct them and what should people be expecting from this range? Alright, so first we wanted the the first four expressions from Milkanani, which is the classic and the three expressions from the element to be to to describe really well who Milkanani is and uh, and to showcase the the distillery character mm-hmm. so the basics here is to work with the cl- with the cask and not let them over overwhelm over power on the distillery character and it's it's quite hard in the hot climate whiskey maturation so what we try to do with the classic first is to to make a well well balanced, uh, well drinkable whiskey mm-hmm. uh, that showcases the fruitiness of the new make, the the distillery character, but also the rapid maturation, uh, the cask the cask flavors, uh, and to to mix them together. Mm-hmm. That's that's the classic, but it's all about balancing things not letting it uh, not letting it over over mature over over age uh, then the elements we add another uh, another cask to each one of them uh, so again we have red wine cask we have sherry cask and we have pitted uh, the red wine cask to be honest I usually don't like uh, whiskeys matured in red wine cask so here we try to balance things and to to build the extra flavors from the red wine cask on the the experiment vanilla flavors sweet flavors uh, so it it's not too whiny it's just the whiskey i think whiny whiskey should be yeah and again with the sherry it's not sherry bomb of course it's well well balanced uh well blended should i say yeah 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 because just so our listeners know here what, what you're doing with the element series is you're taking the classic recipe the the expert and the XSTR and that's basically 50% of the marriage of casks and then you add in the red wine as an element you add in the sherry as an element and and I 
you know, me as a, as a whiskey drinker, and Jason and I talk about this all the time, is we're, you know, we love our whiskeys, and we love our sherried whiskeys, and we love our, you know, big cask-influenced flavors, but sometimes that overtakes the distillery character. And sometimes it, it, it can be fun, but it can throw things a bit out of balance, and it sounds as if that's the number one thing you're trying to avoid is releasing a whiskey that is too much of one thing or too much of another thing. Well, we will have those whiskeys also uh, that, uh, that uh, hiding or uh, covering the distillery character. But here we wanted first to maintain the distillery character inside the four bottles, but second to build a, a, a range of whiskeys that at least that anyone can choose at least one whiskey from. So we have four different uh, flavors, different tastes, and uh, I think we, sh we see it in masterclass in, in travels around the world that uh, there, there isn't one whiskey that, uh, that bolts out or uh, is the best seller, uh, yeah. let's say like this. I, I, uh, can, I can add and I think that here just with, with this market tour that we just uh, in the middle of, we saw that people can recognize the house style. Tomer's hand and our distillery character through all of those uh, different kind of, uh, of whiskies. And, and there's, uh, yesterday we had a masterclass, someone told me before he tasted, I don't like sherry whiskies. And then he said, okay, it's a very good whiskey because it's not overwhelming. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing with, with Pete. Uh, of course, if you're from Ireland, you do peated whiskies, this is your house character. But sometimes for us, uh, the smoke is, and, and the earthiness kind of overwhelms and you don't feel the rest of the distillery character. Um, if, if I'm looking at Kilchoman, it's amazing. It's very smoky whiskeys, but you can see the distillery character mm. and you know it's a Kilchoman. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is what we wanted to do with, uh, with the core range. So, of course, our peated one, and Tom is going to talk about that, it's not a very peated whiskey. Sometimes you can... You cannot smell the peat inside, but when you taste it, you see it's maybe uh, a very gentle one. And if you don't like peaty whiskies, this is probably the whiskey for you. Yeah. Yep. So the peated one? Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I barely can hear you. So. Ah, okay. Yeah. Ah, by the way, we're driving and it's raining, <laughs> and I think it's yeah, it's the next uh, Netflix. We talked about the distillers uh, drinking whiskey in cars, having uh, having fun. Yeah, distillers drinking drams in cars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, first, I'll talk about. We talked about the wine, the wine, uh, red wine element. Now, the sherry one. So it's not a, sh a sherry bomb, of course. Uh, hold on, just to be clear, yeah. Yeah. we are not drinking drams in no, cars. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, 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 no. This no, no, is no. A hashtag. Please drink responsibly. Hashtag. We're just driving to our next just, meeting. Just had coffee. <laughs> just had coffee. That's it. Sorry. Go on, Tomer. No, that's uh, that's important. <laughs> So the sherry one, uh, it's built on, of course, ex-bourbon and SDR cast, which, which we use for all the four core range whiskies, uh, about 50% of those casks. Then we add really special casks uh, of, X, uh, of uh, PX and uh, Sherry Oloroso that we season in our very own seasoning project of casks in Jerez. Uh, the thing is that we are kosher, it's an additional value for us, and uh, we wanted to use sherry cask, but we couldn't source any kosher sherry cask because there is no. 
so we had to start our own seasoning project in south of Spain where we bring the rabbi to produce the, the sherry wine for us and then we season the cask for one year and send them over to Israel to use them in our whiskey. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, it's only around 50%. It, it's very, it's changed from batch to batch because we want to keep the consistency, uh, but, uh, but we use only 50% sherry in this element sherry so it's sherry whiskey but not sherry bob of course and, and the two types of sherry are actually working great together one gives you the also gives you a characteristics and a creaminess and of course the uh, the pedro jimenez the px is giving you the dark chocolate some fruitiness but again just perfectly balanced and you're using the combination of hogsheads and sherry butts yes at the beginning we started with using a combination of, of Hogshead 250 liters and Cherry Butts 500 liters. Um, but right now, the next batch of casks for us uh, will be only Hogsheads because oh. first it's hard to deal. We don't have a lot of space for casks at the distillery and the Cherry okay. Butts are really hard to, to deal with. But second, we do want the flavors as we, we use the Cherry Cask as a component inside a blend. So we do want the sherry flavors to be very strong, very intense. And yeah. then we add it in the proper amount on, in the way we, in the, amount, in the amount we think it should be inside the blend. Do you, uh, for the, so you're not only working with the rabbi and the, the sherry producer in Hareth, but you're also working with a cooper as well to produce the hogsheads. Well, yes, to be honest, uh, the one who started all this and put all, all the, this triangle together uh, was the, the representative from the Cooperage in south of Spain. So uh, okay. he's the glue who stuck all things together. Yeah. Then ah, the, we are the, the Dutch guy. In, <laughs> yeah. The Dutch guy, Hank. Yeah, yeah Hank. Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, so they are uh, organizing everything, uh, of course. We are coming to Spain twice a year to check the cask, just to taste the wine, to see the flavors, to see how the how the cask develops. Yeah, and then uh, he's doing everything. He's organizing everything in this project. So, do you do you specify a kind of wood? Are you going with uh, American white oak? Are you looking for European oak or Spanish oak? Uh, we so far we try. We used only American oak. Mm -hmm. in, the, in those sherry casks. Uh, next year we will have a, a bunch of, uh, of French, French oak also Ooh. and uh, Spanish oak. I'm just curious for, not just for our listeners, but for me as well, what do you think the, the different oaks may, may do for flavor? Well, it, it's gonna change the oxidation, it's gonna change the flavors from the oak itself, and it's gonna change the evaporation rate, which is very important in Israel because uh, every oak has different. Uh, uh, how do you say that? Uh, density. The density. The, yes. Uh, oh, like a thickness. Yeah. Of, thickness. Yeah. It's not okay. the thickness. It's the density. Oh, the density. Yeah, the yeah. density. Uh, Sorry for my English. Yes. Yeah, certain uh, oaks being yeah. porous and some being very yeah. tight. So it, yeah. it's gonna so Americans change. are very porous, and the European one, like the cognac casks, uh, for an example, or just. Um, French oak are much more, you know, tight. tight. Okay. Yeah. Got so it. it's going to change the evaporation rate, the angel share, of course. It's going to change the the oxidation during the maturation mm -hmm. in hot climate, and 
uh, I think it's going to be very different and we'll check if we like it. Okay. And the last element is the pitted one. Yes. And here we use a combination of ex-Isla casks and uh, ex-Isla cask with unpitted barley and an ex-Bourbon cask with our own pitted barley which we source from Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. uh, so every every pit flavor of pit style is different and the combination of those two pits um, is really interesting, make it more uh, more complex, more interesting and yet very balanced because we used it over the experiment in SDR casks. Is there, an, and, and I apologize because we, we may have discussed this um, the last time we spoke and so if this is a repeat answer, well hopefully like me you will have forgotten that I have asked this question, you've forgotten that, that you've answered it while our listeners have to suffer the question and the answer yet again, but is there a reason that you went with Czech peated barley as opposed to um, uh, UK peated barley or Scottish peated peated barley, I should say. And and do you, do you plan on using some Scottish peated barley? Do you or do you want to stick with? Yeah. So as almost everything at the distillery, uh, every decision that we made at the beginning, we used several kind of peat. And the one that we liked the most was the, this Czech Republic malt, mm. Czech Republic pitted malt. Um, but now we are trying to change it or to add another pit uh, style to our portfolio. So we started using also pit from the UK. Okay. And then we'll see how it develops and how it's going, if we like it or not. And we'll decide whether to replace the, the Czech Republic malt or to, to just add uh, several uh, mashes of uh, of this UK UK malt. Okay, good. So that that's our baseline. That's your that's your core range of whiskies. Mm -hmm. Yes. Then uh, well, I'm I'm a whiskey geek. So usually I'm not looking for the base range. Of course, it's very interesting and um, and it's important to to understand the distillery character, where it all begins, and um, and what the the distiller or blender wants to deliver to the customers. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the end, I'm looking for more interesting stuff. I'm looking for uh, unique flavors. I'm looking for to to make things interesting. And uh, oh, <laughs> sorry. Right. You thought that the uh, truck is gonna do yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's falling apart. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Before so, he loses his door, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna move out of the way. That that was a scary noise coming from this garbage <laughs> truck. So, this is where we are going up to the Apex series, where we are not, uh, we are not trying to keep things balanced, but letting the the casks uh, give their their intense flavors work and do their their magic. So, uh, at the Apex series so far, we had 10, edition, 10 batches yeah. where we focused in each one on different uh, interesting casks, uh, very unique casks that we have, some experimental casks that we had, uh, not so much form. And uh, it, all, it all bottled at cask strength. And uh, 
I think that that's going to be very interesting. It was uh, very small batches when we started. Um, I think the first one was uh, 1,200 bottles from five Chardonnay casks from like a traditional Chardonnay from uh, the mountains of Jerusalem from a winery called Castel. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the, it's it's a real Chardonnay, you know, with the lees and everything. So we got them very fresh just after they uh, emptied them. They bottled the, the the wine and. We just left it there for three years, yeah. and we bottled it very strong. It was 61 or 62 point something, and eventually, it, you know, it, it takes it some bottle shock. It, it uh, bottle rest. It's not only for wines; it's also for whiskey sometimes. And this one was the first one. It was very brave to go with the first, you know, just a white wine, um, white wine whiskey, and but it was so good. And now. We know that if we're gonna make another one like that, it's gonna be so different. Yeah, it could be even if it's the same winery and the same uh, the same casks. So this is why we call uh, the batches numbers in the Apex series because even if we do an, uh, the same one, it's gonna be different. Second one I think was a rum cask mm. or something like that mm-hmm. was uh, five casks. I think four of them were from Hampton, from Jamaica, and one of them was Havana Club. Or something like that. We usually yeah, don't talk see. about that, but it see. was uh, it was uh, the combination was was amazing because yeah. of funkiness from one side and the fruitiness and sweetness on the other side. And then of course we did some pomegranate wine cask, which was a hit. Uh, we had two batches of those, totally different from one to the other, but it was a fun thing to see because. I told you, Joshua. It was all there: the ID, the Israeli DNA, the fruit that we eat so much in Israel. It's a part of our diet, but please let the product be good. <laughs> and yeah, it, it yeah. It was a, it was a very nice whiskey. Uh, so yeah, we keep going uh, and and trying all kinds of uh, crazy ideas and something that is really uh, different from, of course, from uh, from our core range. There's. A thing kept on popping up, at least in my head, over this past week, where you know we're pouring these different Apex series whiskeys, and and then of course the elements, uh, red wine, and you know you've got the Apex fortified red wine, you've got the the elements red wine. You talked about the Chardonnay, and and of course you're. Your kosher distillery, and most people, at least in the states, or I should say, most non-Jews think of kosher wine as either Manischewitz, yep, which is not very delicious, but hey ho, there it is. I, I, um, want, I want yours, their casks, <laughs> their steel tanks. I'll tell you, I actually <laughs> like Manischewitz. Don't tell anybody. Anyway, uh, but I'm not. I'm not a wine person, yeah. so you know. Um, But there's a, a big wine culture in Israel, and and you know, again, most people think of either Manischewitz or they think of Israeli wines. If you taste them, they tend to be. If you don't know this word, it's called mavushal, where they yeah. basically sort of boil the wine quickly or, or flash pasteurize it. And to me, that sort of takes the heart and soul out of a wine. But you're using these. Israeli wine cast to make amazing whiskies. So, what are what are we missing from the Israeli wine culture? So, first of all, we have around three thousand year old wine culture. The, the the word wine, you can find it like almost like one hundred times in the Bible. 
So, oh wow, yeah, and and believe me, back then they didn't do any boiling, uh, no mevushal wines, whatsoever. Uh, by the way, they just found next to Yavne, which is a city, I think, around 30 minutes south of Tel Aviv, they found the biggest um, old winery from Byzantine, which is dates for 1,500 years ago, with a production capacity of two million liters of wine wow. and it was crazy just think about that so we have beautiful wines uh, which the wine culture kind of disappeared during the Ottoman Empire occupation of the land of Israel and, and our area and then it came back uh, in the 18th century with the Baron Rothschild uh, bringing his uh, agronome people you know the and of course uh, some grape varieties to plant yeah um, in Israel, we make wines. Uh, the old style of wines we make in Israel are from, I think, international varieties. Uh, when, if you're making a Cabernet Sauvignon in Israel, the, you, you need to work different than you work in cold countries, like we, like with whiskey. Um, so, mm. and sometimes it used to be very uh, like kind of Californian style, very round, very a bit sweet, and and lots of oak, and more and more we're making the, the new style of winemakers that are making more of all kinds of uh, uh, Mediterranean grape varieties from uh, Carignan to Grenache to Syrah Petit Syrah and, and more of those that are more suitable for our kind of climate and terroir in Israel actually you don't find a lot of Mavushal wines because we don't need that uh, even the Orthodox Jews they don't use a lot of Mavushal because they know they can buy a kosher wine from uh. from a um, even a, a, a religious people that operates their own wineries. I think one of the biggest wineries in Israel, it's an Orthodox Jewish family it's called Teperberg. They're doing fabulous wines. We just sourced some of them fortified wines, so uh, casks. Um, so, very good wine culture. I know that some of them, when they come here, because they know, if for, for an Orthodox Jew, I think if someone that is not Jewish sells him a wine, this wine has to be Mevushal. Um, or st something like that. So look for very good Israeli wines, sometimes out of the kosher segment, even if they're, they're kosher, because I know that if you're an American and you don't care about kosher, you won't going to look at the Manishevitz and the Gefilte fish side of the store. <laughs> um, but we have very good wines, different terroir. If you like Lebanese wine, uh, um, sometimes Turkish wines are great and... Greek wines, which are booming all over the world at the moment, but it's it's Mediterranean country. It's yeah. Mediterranean country, and we have some mountains. Uh, so those kind of of casks that's what we are using in our uh, whiskies. And of course, we saw that some some people think that kosher whiskey is like mevushal. We don't need it. We distilled. <laughs> so yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. So anyway, it's not it's not like that. And fortunately for us, there was no whiskey production in the Bible, so no tons of uh, laws and regulations from the Bible. We just don't work on weekends and Jewish holidays and we are, when we are sourcing um, grape-based products, casks like cognac, sherry, port, or uh, red and white wines, or even Pinot de Charente or stuff we talked about, yeah. those has to be kosher and we can source them. So there's nothing there. Uh, for us, it's an added value. We work together with uh, uh, Star K uh, certificate and those guys, can, they understand whiskey, which is great for us. They mm. don't just bug us for stuff like that. So they understand whiskey, and this is why it's kind of easy for us to be uh, kosher whiskey. Yeah. 
not a hassle. When you when you first wow, I talk a lot, huh? You just, God, I was yeah. gonna say that. I said when we first yeah. started this, it's too much it's coffee. I need a beer. Much. I need a beer. It's already <laughs> noon now. Yeah, <laughs> there will be Guinnesses later. Okay, great, I, I promise. Great, great. great. Um, when when you first built the distillery, was there? And I'm backtracking a little bit, but um, was there a certain style, a certain distillery you wanted to 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 emulate? Uh, but with an Israeli twist, or or were you? Because I I know you follow the the Scottish guidelines. That's I understand that's very important to you, and I want to talk about that in in just a bit. But with that in mind, of of aligning yourselves with the Scottish guidelines, was there a distillery you wanted to to emulate, and and if so, who was that and why? Well, I don't really want to say names okay. of other distilleries, but uh, we thought about doing some Space ID Scotch-like style. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that changed over the, the eight years that we are producing um, to the character that we got now. But at the beginning, we designed everything with, with Dr. Jim Swan to be a Space ID-ish got whiskey. It. Yeah. Yeah, that, that yeah. I, I apologize for my uh, my question there. That's 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 better put that you wanted a particular style, but no matter what, even even though you targeted this style, you have your climate and your different climate zones that that make a twist on it. So I f- I feel as if you are you find yourselves in a difficult position where you're looking to target a, a certain style, but you have the climate in a way working against you, but also in a way working with you to allow you to mature your whiskeys faster. But then again, to work against you, you you want a minimum three years. And, and you know, there's other things that you're looking to have as a baseline for what you feel Israeli whiskey could be. So, with this in mind, you mentioned briefly the other day that that you're starting talks with the Israeli government to create a category of Israeli whiskey that has a a baseline of of rules that distilleries should follow. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, Yeah, I'll just say that uh, as the Japanese now figure out that they need some rules, some laws, for what can be called Japanese whiskey or some definitions for uh, Japanese whiskey, mm-hmm. we will figure this out uh, in few years. And I think we should start thinking about it and start, uh, I'll, I won't say defend the Israeli whiskey category uh, from being too wide and too, uh, with, without any definitions mm-hmm. uh, for what can be called Israeli whiskey. Uh, Right now, we don't have a lot of, uh, of uh, restrictions. We can call almost everything Israeli whiskey, and I think that's wrong for the customer at the end, and I think that's wrong for the, uh, to, to keep the Israeli whiskey in a good quality on the shelf. Because if, if someone will drink some not good Israeli whiskey, it will affect all the, the Israeli producers. Like we're speaking about kosher wines. Yeah, yeah, right. It, that's a very good point. And that's it. <laughs> but, but, but 
what is that? And, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but Tomer, I really liked how you, you you brought up the Japanese comparison where producers are getting together, they're having discussions, they're trying to create guidelines that will hopefully be implemented sometime in 2024. So. Are, are you going alone? You know, are you working with uh, your your fellow whiskey producers? Uh, as I know, there's Galani, there's Yerushalami, and I think one more. There's Pelter. Yeah. And there is Shevet, which didn't have there will whiskey. Be, yeah, there will, there be. will be three or four more that are on construction right now or even started distillation, but has no whiskey yet. And uh, we will want to to work with everyone. Um, we don't have any competition, let's call it like this. We are all friends and we need to think about how to build the Israeli whiskey category. Actually, we're working with the Chamber of Commerce and with uh, um, lots of you know government um, bodies to, to work with that. Uh, for an example, the guys from Pelter was with us three weeks ago because they want a larger capacity of distillation. And we were talking about collaboration, even with casks, or just to help them understand, because they're doing it with all the, you know, fruit alambics, like cognac alambics. So we, yeah. we try to talk to them about the cuts and, and how to do that. So kind of help them, give them information. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, like Thomas said, if, anyone, if everyone will do a good job, it's going to be a great uh, Israeli whiskey category. Uh, like you see in, in in other countries, and I hope that uh, the rest of uh, of the distilleries hop along. Yeah, I want to switch gears just a little bit. You were telling me during one of our long drives. I think Tomer was sleeping. On no, his I'm not. I'm not sleeping. I'm listening to you guys all all the way. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, um, you were mentioning, you know, during the uh, 11 day war. Uh, and I don't know if that's the proper term, but the the eleven day kerfuffle, uh, <laughs> <Kartoffel>. <laughs> um, a short while ago in 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 Israel, you basically you couldn't go to work for a couple of days, and then it was uh, Shabbat, and then there was something else going on, and basically you had your wash fermenting for an extended period of time, and, and then and then you ended up distilling that. Can you? Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I thought that was really... It was like almost, yeah, of course, almost uh, seven days or six days? It was days? more than seven. Yeah, seven it was days. eight days yeah. of fermentation when we usually ferment uh, during midweek uh, for 48 hours and then during uh, weekends for just a little bit more than 72 hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we know that the fermentation time affects the flavors of the whiskey. Um it uh, produces more congeners and things like that. Uh, so it it is change. It is different from the from the new make that we usually have. So I guess in the next uh, three four years we will have some some very interesting long fermentation additions. So you tasted it and and it had some different flavors. Was it? It was much fruitier. Yeah. For some people, it felt like almost uh, rum style. Oh, wow. Very sweet, very fruity, uh, which is great, but it's not the distillery character that we are looking for. Okay, and so this was going to be my my follow-up question to that. We're not going to change this, uh, change our fermentation time. Uh, but, but do you think you would, 
you know, similar to how you run peated malt for a few weeks out of the year, do you think you would run extended fermentation uh, batches for for special editions? Uh, that me that might be possible. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked what what came out of the of the long fermentation batch, but uh, yeah, I think we will do it in the future uh, more. Oh, uh, just wait. For but the in next general, war. in general, we really like to experiment with everything. So we have some different uh, f- different uh, yeast variations, and uh, we have some uh, different. Uh, barley variations batches so we are experimenting all the time with different things uh, changing all the uh, variables in the in the production process mm-hmm. so so we are experimenting you you should expect in few years some really interesting additions that will come come out as I told you, we, you know, we're laughing about that. Maybe we're going to call it Apex uh, Iron Dome or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> under fire, I don't know. Apex under fire. Apex under fire. Um, and, the, oh, and speaking of Apex, you know, this is another thing we discussed. You know, it's you've got the classic, which is your your table whiskey or your session whiskey, or or basically everything is built off of that. Mm-hmm. And you've got elements, which is your balanced line, uh, or, or your line of balanced whiskeys that are built off of classic. And then your Apex series, which is where you put your fun batches in. But you're expanding that next year to to highlight special single casks. Yeah, the TNT casks. Exactly. Actually, you, you so, came up with that. We actually called it like that. So actually, oh, really? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Actually, every morning coffee, me and Tal, we don't finish the the glass of coffee because we just start talking about. Uh, I yesterday I tasted this cask and this cask, and uh, and we just start sampling casks, and uh, we found we are finding all the time interesting casks, some very exceptional casks that we want to bottle as really special editions. So the Apex series will got a really brand new, fancy black uh, black bottles. Mm-hmm. And we will bottle some really exceptional casks that chose specially by me, myself, and the gentleman that's sitting next to you. We actually f- we picked the first Six or seven. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, um, just last week. Uh, there's going to be another one, another expression, which is going to be a yearly, very short seasonal or something like that. Uh, so next year we're going to have a series of beer casks uh, from different types of beers and different uh, micro breweries around Israel. Wow. Uh, maybe double stout, IPA, stuff like that. Um, and a year later on, we'll try to play with. Uh, different wine terroirs in Israel or all kinds of stuff like that that will will go out as a series of uh, three, four, two, I don't know. We'll see we'll see about that. It's gonna be gonna be called the yearly project. But I think we didn't talk about the Dead Sea edition. No. We, we still have twenty five yeah, minutes. We still have so. twenty five minutes. So. Right. So <laughs> just launched <laughs> one minute for each uh, percentage of angel share coming out of the Dead Sea. <laughs> yeah. So we just launched the the, the Apex Dead Sea edition, which uh, if this is batch number ten from the Apex series, yeah. and if in the first nine batches we focused on different cast types and 
uh, we let the cask work and give their intense flavors. Here we focus on terroir or on the different climate zones that we have in Israel, which in such a small country... Tommy, it's a kind of a closure because the last time we, we had a podcast, it was the day after we came back from the Dead Sea. That is very true. So we were there and Joshua actually tasted the very young uh, liquid like two years ago. Yes. Yeah. And now we're launching it again and it's yeah. going to be in America in the next That's few weeks. That's why it weeks. was so important to me to talk about the Dead Sea, you see? <laughs> I love it. It's, I it's natural, you know. It's, uh, Look at that. The segues. So here amazing. we are going to focus on terroir or on different climate zone that we have in Israel which in such a small country we have five different climate zones so we spread all over small warehouses in each climate zone and uh, we check the differences we experiment from that uh, we learn a lot and we will release some special editions so the Dead Sea the Apex Dead Sea is already out and we'll hit the US in next month I think yeah it's so the Dead Sea just uh, just just for reference here it's Friday November 12th uh, and the Dead Sea uh, just hit our importation warehouse maybe uh, a week ago or so somewhere around there so it's it should start hitting shelves on the west coast shortly and then get over to the east coast within the month or so I think that after we launched the first one we're going to have another one which is going to be with different casks Tom is going to talk about the casks but it's going to be from different casks because we have so many different casks there it's a part of the experiment and now we are working on uh, some warehousing uh, one is in the mountains of Jerusalem which is very dry and uh, a lot of uh, differences between day and night even in the summertime and of course in the winter it's cold Mm. Uh, and then Sea of Galilee, which is minus 210 meters below sea level, but very humid down there in the Dead Sea, at uh, the uh, Sea of Galilee. Um, kind of the opposite from the Dead Sea. And of course, we have another one in the desert uh, next to the border with Egypt, which is a totally desert place. Not uh, that was uh, the Dead Sea was is a desert because uh, of the Grand Rift Valley. The, what we call the Syrian-African break. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of that, there's no rain there because it's so low. But it wasn't supi- supposed to be a desert. It's not in the desert belt of the world. But down south next to, to Egypt, next to the Sinai Desert, the Negev Desert is really a desert. So we'll see what's up with that. It's going to be very different from warehouse to warehouse. So it can rain there, but because it's so low, the water evaporates by the time it gets... No, it, the water... Actually, you have mountains before that. Mm-hmm. If there was no break, the mountains would keep on until the, they reach the mountains of, of uh, Jordan. So uh, it's the Jordan okay. uh, Valley. Um, the Jerusalem mountains and the Jordanian mountains were almost one mountain. And then it broke and it spreads like two centimeters every year. The rain clouds in Israel comes from uh, the Mediterranean Sea. And then they fly over the uh, coastal plain. And then when they reach the mountains, they stuck above Jerusalem and get all of the rain in the Jerusalem mountains. And then they're uh-huh. empty when they're reaching uh, the very, very deep uh, Grand Rift Valley. Got it, got it. Okay. So with the flavors coming out, of the whiskey from the Dead Sea. Is this, is it heat 
Is it uh, air pressure that's affecting the whiskey? Is it the salt in the air that's affecting the whiskey? And I know this was a question that we got many times when we were uh, doing the festival in New Jersey, where people were expecting to be drinking, you know, a really salty whiskey, and it's not salty. I mean, there may be, like, hints and things like that, just like you would find a hint of salt in a in an Isla whiskey or something like that, but what are the what's the Dead Sea doing to the whiskey in cask? Well, in general, it just extracts much more flavors from the, the wood, from the cask. Uh, the evaporation rate gives it much more bolder uh, style, and uh, the flavors are appears to be much more stronger than in other places. Uh, the mouth texture is really thick. Uh, you can almost chew it in your mouth. And uh, I think that bolts all the flavors, uh, hide a little bit of the distillery character because of the wood flavors that came out from the cask of the uh, other cask flavors. Mm -hmm. And uh, that makes it really different, interesting, and unusual. That's a that's a good point, you know. Tasting it, the the oak has a, a good amount of influence on it, and it while tasting it, it made me think that it may be something that bourbon lovers would really like because there's a lot of wood-driven flavor going on there, and, and a lot of bourbon casks. We had a lot of, a lot of bourbon, bourbon cask there, and yeah. a lot of STR cask, which at the beginning gives you a lot of uh, it's not winey flavors because we shave out almost all of the uh, wine that's soaked into into the wood but uh, it gives some winey spiciness at the beginning but the longer the fermentation continues the more oak flavors that you get so at the Dead Sea it's even more intense it's even more strong uh, so you get a lot of wood flavors oak flavors from the the STR casks also is there a cask type you'd say no to? <laughs> Actually, I'm, I wasn't so excited about trying tequila cask, or we, we even have uh, our own variation of uh, oak aged gin, so we don't, we don't throw the cask, we try to put whiskey inside those casks. And I don't like casks that affect too much on the character of the, of the whiskey. So, I don't think it will be released sometime, uh, but maybe, I don't know. But generally, we, no, we don't. We yeah. will say yes to any cask, we'll try, and maybe if we don't like it, we either blend it to another one or just drink it. You know us. I don't like it, but I'm going to drink it I'm anyway. I'm going to drink it anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to, yeah. It's, you know, we, we, we grew up in, a, in houses that uh, you don't throw bread, so we don't yeah. throw whiskey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but... In in basic, we we like to in, we want to experiment in everything. We will say no only after the maturation, when we will taste it and decide not not or yes not to bottle it. Well, this is the beautiful thing about being being a small producer, where you small and independently owned producer, you've got the freedom to play around and 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 do what you want with flavor. And you've created an environment for, for fans of your distillery 
to expect strange things, to expect unusual things. And that's, that is a very cool place to be as a, as a New World producer. Well, that's even, uh, even makes the, the four core range whiskeys more important because mm. we still have the distillery character, but yes, we, we will release and we want to release, and that's what the Apex Series for some interesting stuff to intrigue even uh, even whiskey geeks or all whiskey drinkers for me i think when we look at the tastings we had and master classes and stuff like that the perfect customer is the one that buys classic and then i don't know fortified red wine cask or, or a cognac uh, apex and and this is crazy because you know it's there it's so different you're going to feel the distillery character but he wants this one for this occasion and the other one for the different occasion mm -hmm. it's a very ugly uh, state here with uh, you know where, where you live in it's very ugly right it's there's no. there's nothing appealing about it no no green nothing no colors <laughs> so beautiful just show how long are your podcasts 17 hours <laughs> All right, because <laughs> that became long. Yeah, there's uh, there, there's always a question that I like to get us out, you know, out on. But I did want to ask uh, really quickly, you know, you, you know, Tal, you had mentioned before you're in 27 export markets now. Yes, and you know, if you if you took COVID out of the equation. What do you find? Because right, you're 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 the the vice president of international sales, so this is this is always on your mind, I imagine. What are the challenges that you that you face if you took COVID out of the equation? Is it your new world producer? Is it non-age stated? What? what? It's I think uh, a new world, but still very untraditional uh, country to make whiskey and like Israel it's really you know you guys are making whiskey and so this is the first thing non-age statement I think until now it wasn't that much of a problem because um, we tend to appeal to the more educated whiskey drinkers so they know yeah. about uh, um, hot climate countries and you know I think Kavalan paved the way for all of us Kavalan yeah. Amrut uh, so it's it's kind of easier to do that, and and more and more uh, big Scottish names are, you know, they have uh, NAS as well. Um, but uh, maybe it's we we don't suffer a lot from uh, you know all kinds of problems because we're from Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, like wines are suffering sometimes because we 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 appeal to a different kind of crowd. Um, we did have some problems, had some problems in uh, Scandinavia after the. The short uh, fight with uh, with Gaza, mm -hmm. uh, but I think that you should convince them first that we actually can make whiskey, yeah. and then they need to taste it, and then I think that it's kind of easier to do that. Um, it's it's very hard for me to say to to, to say because we started during COVID, <laughs> so yeah, right. so <laughs> there's no world for me before COVID. Only yeah. then it was very hard to say, to to try to convince people to s uh, sell uh, young single malt and yeah, other whiskey because because yeah, yeah. the the sales pitch is much longer. Um, but now when we have whiskey and we are doing a good job and we're winning prices and we won the craft producer of the year by the World Whiskey Awards icons of whiskey and 
and some other even kosher fest uh, best in something yeah. best in uh, show in show uh, so uh, so it's kind of easier to to start the ball rolling and then uh, just help and target and help those uh, our partners and importers around the world to sell yeah so so let's get to my final question Woo, final one Woo, here we go yeah, yeah. what uh, <laughs> <laughs> he fell asleep every time I'm picking the microphone he falls asleep so uh, you, I think you set it up perfectly for me Tal you've got all of these awards you've got global uh, acclaim you've got people uh, you know I, I won't necessarily mention names but there was someone a friend within the industry who after a show said there are two things I loved from this show a 60 year old Springbank and the three year old Dead Sea, uh, Dead sea. And, and so it seems as if everything is looking up for milk and honey there's only room for growth and I know that you're, you're you know, hopefully going to be expanding your production a little bit. What, what's in store for the next one year, two years, five years? What has you excited as you move toward the future? So I think, first of all, really no more lockdowns, please. Uh, I think <laughs> go, go get vaccinated or whatever. Don't just stay at home. I don't know. But really, it's, uh, we, we j- they just closed Holland for us. Uh, and... Mm. If, if the world go, gonna go back to normality, I think that uh, we, we, it's gonna be easier to, to do our job because we never had a normal year since we have whiskey. Um, so for us, you know, we think fast and we produce fast, and this is why this year we're gonna have a lot more bottles. Uh, so I think that Liquid on Lips, try our whiskey, we're gonna be there anywhere uh, we can, and we're gonna try to win some more medals. But I think that eventually, for uh, for me, medals is a tool. But when a person in I don't know where in Connecticut, yeah, we just entered would, Scotland. Yeah, from Scotland, Hebron to Scotland in yeah, half an there hour. Yeah, easy breezy. So for me, just another person in a whiskey tasting in a store in a place that I don't remember his name left later on tells me that. He wants my whiskey. He loves my whiskey. It's a surprise for him. It's it's the best medal. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so we continue to get some more Apex, some more me. We are thinking about expanding the core range in about one year or even less uh, if it's going to be okay with us. You know, we'll, we'll try the, the casks again and just just keep on running. This is what we like. Beautiful. Tomer? Nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> he fell asleep. He didn't hear the question. I'll just continue What's producing. What's your uh, plans for next year? Yeah, the plan is to continue produce the best single malt we can produce, and just let you taste it. And I hope you will like it. I, I can't think of a better way to end that. Yeah. So, gentlemen, thank you both. Really appreciate your time, and and letting me take you all around the beautiful northeast of the United States of America. It is beautiful. Thank you so much, Joshua. Thank you so much, Joshua. Cheers. Sincere thanks to Tal and Tomer for, for coming out and for, for letting me create a week that I, that I think was very successful for, for M&H and their brand within the area. Um, you know, one thing, one thing I'll tell you, Jason, I'll tell the listeners as well, you know, personally, I think 
M&H lives in a very unusual pocket of the whiskey world. They themselves say, first and foremost, we make single malt whiskey. Secondly, we're world single malt whiskey, and we want to be recognized as such. Thirdly, we're located in Tel Aviv. Fourthly, quatrily, fourthly, oh yes, also we're kosher, right? It, they they mm-hmm. don't lead mm-hmm. with kosher, um, mm-hmm. but in some areas, I think they feel they need to, right? Because they need to sort of represent, they're representing Israel, and they're representing kosher to a kosher-keeping community in a way that no one has done before or has been able to do before, specifically through their uh, element sherry, right? There's never been a sherry or a kosher-certified sherry whiskey before. And so building that week was a combination of focusing on events like Kosher Fest, focusing on events, you know, specifically to, to Jewish consumers, but then also what they, you know, the real focus is we're whiskey makers. That's it. We're whiskey makers out there to make the best whiskey we can make. And so we kind of had to live in a series of worlds, and I created a week that hopefully did that. I'm so glad you bring this up right now. First of all, just like you said, thanks to Tal and Tomar, listening to those chaps, so much fun. All the way through lockdown, seeing them on Zooms, seeing them as part of of Whiskey Show uh, in London and, and being on with them was was so wonderful. They're such, such good guys. I'm going to... I'm, I was going to say I'm going to blow a little smoke here, but I'm really not. <laughs> okay. But I'm going to give you your due. D-U-E. Oh, I'm look at you. you your due. I thought you were going to give me my due. Yeah, okay. You've already got that in spades. <laughs> but... You just said this a second ago. M&H are single malt producers. And this year you've been running an Impex Drinks With series where the first episode focused on scotch was fantastic. I highly recommend it. In the second episode, you had a world single malt Mm -hmm. episode with Gal from M&H, who... I hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. And so I, I loved hearing from him for the very first time. But then Spirit of Yorkshire were on there and Pinderum were on there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to take a moment in the podcast to tell our listeners, if you like what we do here, please go to YouTube. Please go to Facebook. Really, go to YouTube and look up the Impex Drinks With series, episode one and episode two are out of this world. And episode three, an independent bottler focus, happens the day this episode drops. Yes, it does. But again, you could go see that. Uh, it'll be up available on YouTube as well. But I really, really mean it. And I've texted you privately at the end of both episode one and episode two. They are master classes in their topic. And serious kudos to you, wonderful guests, knowledgeable guests. And given the M&H focus of this episode, Gal did a tremendous job in episode two, saying more about M&H as well. So all of that, especially with the holidays coming up, a little bit of time, a little bit of downtime for people, yeah. pour a dram, 
call up the Drinks With, the Impex Drinks With series, and have some fun. Learn a ton. Let me let me shed a, a little bit of that praise because the idea behind this one is different from the other ones I did. Where the other ones, I had a series of questions that that I wanted to pose, and then toward the end, if we had gotten, you know, if we had the chance to get to a listener question, then we would, you know, attend to that. Uh, we're in this series. I'm asking an opening question, but we've been inviting people to um, present questions beforehand, right? You can send questions into social at impactsbev.com, I think it is. And so people sent questions in beforehand, and then we'd watch the comments as they were coming in with people asking Mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. And while I feel as if I did a good job moderating, and I thank you for saying as such, I would say that it's it's really, and thanks to the viewers, both on YouTube and on Facebook, for submitting really good questions. And it was obvious they were actively listening to the presenters and posing questions based on 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 what the presenter was was discussing. And I had a cohort. Uh, Jeanette with Impacts was sending me texts every now and again. She's saying, you really have to check out Travis Williams' question, right? <laughs> check, check out so-and-so's question. And, and she, was, she, she was a big help. And so while I, yeah, while I do thank for sure. you for, for the praise, if it weren't for the viewers, if it weren't for Jeanette, I don't think I would have been able to moderate it as well as I did. So... And of and of course the takes panels, a village, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, well worth people's time. So, thanks to Talent Oma for being here today, covering this wonderful, wonderful stuff. Good job driving safely while conducting an interview <laughs> in the pissing rain. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, definitely take check out the impacts. Cheers. Drinks with stuff. Perfect. So normally, Jason. You and I would do news here, but it's really the end of the year. And the only thing that we'll say from a news standpoint is next week we will have the last of our uh, Extra Extra It's All About Whiskey episode for the season. And so we'll skip January 5 and return with season 3 of Extra Extra on what is that the 29th january 29th do i have that right if we oh gosh yeah gosh we skip the if fifth we skip the fifth five plus 14 that's the 19th january uh, 19th. 19th yeah, yeah. so we'll return with um season three of extra extra it's all about whiskey but then on december 29 we'll have our final episode of the year it's not our final episode of season five but our final episode of the year, and it's our annual year in review. What do we do, mm-hmm. Jason, on our year in review? A bunch of things. We look back at the year that has been. Mm-hmm. We invariably discuss a favorite One Nation Under Whiskey episode, which is often six long 12 long. (laughs) (laughs) We do a terrible job of picking a favourite. We pick our favourite single cast nation release of the year and we pick our favourite non-single cast nation 
pick of the year. Mm-hmm. Often whiskey focused, but not necessarily. Very true. And then along the way, we throw in a whole bunch of honourable mentions. Sometimes we category hop. Really, we just do whatever the hell we want <laughs> as we're drinking together on a Sunday afternoon towards yeah. the end of December. Yep. It sounds like it's the a, best Sunday ever. I fucking love that. You know you know what's funny about picking a favorite episode of the year? That one that we record is my favorite <laughs> of the year. Because <laughs> we look back on everything we've done, everything we've achieved, yeah. everything we've yeah. tasted. Like it's it's brilliant. Right? It's so it, much fun. It, it's it's reminiscing and, and reminiscing can be so much fun. Always is. Did we go over three hours on last year's episode? Are you saying we have to go over six on, on this? <laughs> I am I am not. I am just thinking how much time my wife is going to allot for the recording of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking I should have a baked mac and cheese ready to go straight into the oh, oven for the close delicious. of that recording. Oh, so. that sounds delicious. Oh, yeah. With some balsamic Brussels sprouts, roasted Brussels mm. sprouts on the side. Oh, oh yeah. interesting. That's, that's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Anyway, so yeah, that's that was lovely. You covered you covered the gamut there. While we're here talking about these things, obviously, and I know we're still in the unofficial news segment here, but here's some news for you. No email uh, question in today's episode. We are still collecting email questions mm-hmm. for the. Mid-February, I think we agreed February 9, this uh, 2022, sure. will be this mailbag episode. You have until January 30 to get your questions into us. And we've, we've opened the doors. Ask us anything you want, anything that's on your mind, anything you've wondered. How have those two jamokes kept wives for as many years as they have? What's their secret? Uh, well, ask the question. Maybe we'll get to the bottom of that. But send a question to questions at one nation under whiskey.com mm-hmm. no ian whiskey ever or you could send a question to info at singlecastnation.com that that account is checked and we're collecting them we have questions ready to go yeah. for the mailbag episode it's been wonderful seeing them coming in and every time we drop an episode with this reminder for the next few days that's when the questions come in yeah. and then Peter's quiet again. Yeah. <laughs> then we make the reminder, and a few more come in. So, so please, if if you've thought about sending in one but you haven't done so yet, please go ahead and do that. We'd love to hear from you. The other thing that I'd like to say before we go into doing the thing that we've been wanting to do on Wax, speaking of reminders, is I'm I'm going to ask people for a belated Hanukkah gift. <laughs> Shameless. We would love for you to go to Apple iTunes and give us a rating if you wouldn't mind. Five stars would be lovely. Four are more than acceptable. Just give us a rate. Even if you want to pop in some nice words, we would absolutely love it. If you enjoy the if right, if you enjoy this podcast, showing your appreciation by way of Giving us uh, four or five stars would be lovely. If you could say some nice things, that would be lovely too. Uh, We're finding out more and more that people are coming to this podcast because of how it's rated. And so far, it's rated pretty well. But the more ratings you get, the more available Apple seems to make it or, or rank true. it within the search. It's an algorithm. Right? It's an algorithm. It's an algorithm. And, I, and, and I'd love for you to help us get into rhythm. 
And, uh, and so go to Apple and say some nice things and rate us, please. We would absolutely love that. While we're on the subject of algorithms, and I know that, that some people take book recommendations from our podcast, I had a book recommended to me by a good friend and listener, Bert Bumgardner. And he recommended Weapons of Math Destruction. Oh, interesting. And it's this fascinating dive into the algorithms that are deciding a lot of things for human beings. It's not entirely clear how they're coming to their conclusions, why they're coming to their conclusions. But as far as confirmation bias goes, the conclusions that they come to are held and administered without concern or complaint. Wow. And it, it's written by a, a, a PhD mathematician who has been in the education realm, the private sector. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating read, absolutely fascinating. I read it in a single day. It is well worth your time if, if that's your style. And so once again, weapons of of math destruction. I, I love it. I there's a book that I return to every now and again. Forget the name of the author. I should I have it right in my my room. It's it's simply called Zero. And it's basically mm. about the impact that the number zero has had on society. <laughs> and it's <laughs> it is it's you know, there's there's much more to it as well. But uh you know I I, I love how math can be interweaved into our lives. And, and so I, I, I love the sound of this. Weapons of math destruction. I'm in. That's it. As we do have the little truncated news segment here, I'm just going to drop a breadcrumb because I do want to come back to it in the year in review. <laughs> okay. But our hashtag Giving Tuesday event this year, which we haven't... Mm-hmm circled back to on the podcast. That's true. That's true. I wanted to really dive into it in the year in review episode, but I wanted to leave this little breadcrumb so that we can return to that in one more episode. The only thing I'll tack on to that is you 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 praised me for the drinks with series. Oh. oh. We can only praise those that gave during the Giving Tuesday. Oh. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That's that is something that we will need to talk about in the year in review episode. So, so I'm excited. Thank you for dropping that breadcrumb. Are you ready to do the thing that we said we were going to do? As long as it's a thing that we agreed to before we hit the record button. So I'm going to open mine. Oh, that's that's not the sound a cork makes. What? That's the sound glitter clatter. Glitter clatter. No seal makes. It is. Glug, 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 glug. So, Jason, you and I, and we'll say this to the listeners, you, dear listener, Jason and I have just poured a little bit of the Single Cast Nation, what we've been calling the Wolf Island Bottling. So this is an unusual bottling that you and I did where, while it does say Single Cask Nation on it, you and I married six casks together. Uh, ages were between seven and nine years old. All first fill bourbon. Five were unpeated. 
the sixth cask was peated, and uh, you, this was a, a marriage of casks we we'd been working on for some time to perfect to get it exactly where we wanted it to be. Forty-eight point eight percent alcohol, not cask strength. We normally do cask strength, but again, this was a project we were working on, and we wanted to get it to the ABV that we thought would have it drinking at its best. And we didn't know what to do with it. And then we connected with our friends at the Water of Life film, Greg, Trevor, Alphonse, Fiona, and the, and the whole you know group over there. Yeah, the whole gang. And, and so we did a single cask bottling with them. That was our 17-year-old Stones of Stenness. Uh, it was a sherry cask whiskey from Orkney. And we couldn't say the distillery name for that one. And here we are running into a similar situation, not being able to disclose the distillery name. However, this was 1,600 bottles that have been started hitting store shelves. And it's been turning heads left and right. But at the same time, we've been getting questions from people wanting to know, well, what's it like? Am I going to like it? Blah, blah, blah. You know? mm-hmm. and, and so we thought... Why not give it a review on the podcast? So here we are. Yeah, we and we mentioned it a couple of episodes again, where as I as I mentioned earlier on this episode, as an industry podcast, we were pretty open and transparent about our internal name of Wolf Island not appearing anywhere on the label. And in fact, it's a sheep standing next to a boom mic on the label. Um uh-huh. And so it's the it's the it's the SCN Wolf collaboration unnamed island just rolls right off the tongue. Yep. Right, right. <laughs> Quaffable drinker, and you know you, you can see it from where you're sitting, Joshua. But I'm halfway through this bottle, mm-hmm. and the last time we talked about this on on the episode, as you show me your half full mm-hmm. bottle. Uh, the last time we talked about this uh, on, on One Nation Under Whiskey, neither one of us had taken receipt of the bottles that had come into the United States right. for general release, for retail release. And now we have them. Uh, like you, I've been taking the questions. I know Elijah's been fielding the questions. What's it like? What's going on in it? The one thing we have said along the way, damn, if it's not up pop your Vino seal on Friday and recycle the bottle on a Monday. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that a little bit more in just a second here. And then just the other night, Elijah, we've talked about his series, Banter About the Barrel. He spoke with Greg Swartz about the collaboration on Instagram Live. Yep. So I recommend heading over to Instagram, look up Single Cast Nation, see the Instagram Live there. Well worth seeing more oh yeah well I, I i have to do that myself i had an event that evening i couldn't watch it live so i've got to it go was well done it lovely okay. lovely conversation between the two of them yeah real easy so so here we are so let's get whiskey so let me t- that was my olivia newton john by the way let's get let's physical get, let's get whiskey let's get whiskey whiskey, whiskey. Let's get whiskey. I've got my Let's leg warmers on. Oof. And I've got my headband on. Oof. So, yeah, I'm going to get whiskey. Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, <laughs> fans of Greece will love that one. Anyway, 
let me let me as you're nosing this one, let me just remind people. Um, you know, one of the questions that I had been fielding, that I know Jason, you have been fielding, and of course Elijah has been fielding, and I only. Mm-hmm. I only say the three of us because this is a U.S. release. This didn't make it into, or this didn't make it outside of the U.S., so Jess really hasn't been fielding the questions. The question is, can't you give me just a little hint? (laughs) Come on. And uh, to which we say, no, the contract stipulates we can't even be cheeky. We can't even, we can't do anything. And then then there are some people that'll say, okay, that's, that's, Oh, and then some people say, okay, but which Isla distillery is it? And I said, no, it's not Isla. It's an island, even though Isla is an island. Isla is its own region, and we would, you know, attribute it as such. And so, and then they say, when they hear peated and unpeated, they say, all right, thanks for, thanks for telling me. I'll let all my friends know it's Aaron, or I know I'll let all my friends know it's Tobermory, or I'll let all, you know... And the fact of the matter is a lot of these island distilleries are producing both peated and unpeated spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just those two, right? Mm-hmm. There's distilleries on Orkney that are doing that. That's... Mm-hmm. Anyway, we can't say anything. But what we can do is tell you our notes both on the nose and on the palate. So while I've been talking there, Jason, what are you getting on the nose with this one? There's this wonderful, bright fruitiness, almost peach-like. You could extend it into apricots, into pears, maybe extend it into a nice, fresh, crisp apple. Yeah. But then there's an earthiness behind that. There's an earthiness that grounds the fruit. And it's not a medicinal uh, earthiness. No, I, I don't no. think it's coming from a medicinal peat quality, but it but it is earthy. It's not wood smoke. It's not a, a wood frame around another series mm. of qualities. It is connecting to. I'm going to use the same word again. The earth. Yeah, and I yeah. love that that about it. Yeah, there's there's an interesting thing about this whiskey where I think if people didn't know the details of this whiskey, they would never guess that there's actually peated whiskey in here that, you know, mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. 17-ish percent, you know, whatever one-sixth is uh, of the overall makeup is peated whiskey. You wouldn't get that it because... It is so bright and fresh and fruity, and I love what you said about the apple. I get golden delicious apple, right? I I also <laughs> I also oddly get this sort of grape must note on there, but I think it's like mm. I think maybe it's less grape must and more dunnage where like a warehouse note. So maybe mm. back to that earthy quality that you're talking about, and there's. Also on the nose, this there's a salinity to it. It mm, just agreed. delicate salinity. It doesn't smell coastal. This is you know even though it's an island distillery, it doesn't necessarily smell coastal like you think. A Kalila smells coastal, 
or or a Lagavulin can smell coastal. It, it's it's a salinity. It, it is a very separate kind of note. I see you've taken a sip. I am, because I'm looking at it in my glass. Each time I bring it up to my nose and I'm looking at how oily it is. I'm looking at these extended legs on the side of the glass. And I'm thinking, as I would hope any consumer would think, I really want to put that on my tongue. I want to see if that feels mm -hmm. as oily, as viscous as it looks. And I think the good news is it definitely does feel rich, unctuous, mouth-coating, mouth-filling. I, I was telling you this uh, a bit earlier, and but I want to reiterate this for our listeners. I was doing an event, a local event here in Connecticut, and uh, just just a private event, but it was specifically a single cask nation one. And I brought four or five bottles somewhere around there. And the 18-ish, 18 or so other people, somewhere between 14 and 18, I, I've stopped counting. Anyway, all brought their own single cask nation bottling. And this was the first one that was poured. And mm -hmm. among them was... Makes 40, good sense. Right. Among them was 46-year-old Invergordon and our Laughing Frog and, you know, all sorts of heavy whiskeys and brighter whiskey. Anyway, this led the charge. And by the end of the night, there was a good portion of those people who had said, that was my favorite whiskey of the night. That never yeah. happens to a first whiskey. That never happens. You're exactly correct. <laughs> exactly correct. It's like leaving a meal and being like, do you remember the amuse-bouche that the chef sent out? That was my favorite thing of the night. My favorite. But I, I'm going to say something that I, I haven't thought through. And it, it might work what and it might new? not. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Controversial. But mm. normally I'm guilty of the other, the other problem. Mm. Here's the thing. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You and I run single cask nation. You and I sell and drink cask strength whiskey constantly. Constantly. And and we love it and we're always pushing the envelope and we've done the 67.6%. The Six-year-old Ben Nevis, we've done the 65.1%. Beanley, we think they can be consumed at that strength straight from bottle, Easily. thoroughly enjoyed. Yep. There's something about sitting down and just making repeated pours of a 48.8 uh -huh. that is wonderful. Yeah. And <laughs> it's the type of thing that makes me worry about myself where I don't really feel like I'm consuming alcohol when the strength of a whiskey is in the 40s. And I, I've said it many times on the podcast, huge fan of Compass Box Glasgow Blend, 43% alcohol, can drink that like water. Yeah. Right. This at 48.8 still brings texture, still brings presence, still brings flavor. But at only 48.8, I don't feel bad about pouring this twice, pouring this three times. Now I'm starting to speak too, honestly. Once, twice, <laughs> three times a whiskey. Um, listen, I, 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 I agree with everything that you said there. And uh, 
I don't think you should feel bad for saying it. I, th- I think there was a time in anybody, really in anybody's whiskey journey, where you start at 40, you go to 43, ooh, 46, what's that going to do? Absolutely. Right? Yep, absolutely. And then, and really what you're doing is you're training your tongue. You're training your palate for, for you know, big pants. And uh, I almost said big boy pants, but I want to be inclusive. Yeah. Big person pants. You have to be. Thank you. Appreciate your edit. And um, and you get to this point where it's, you know, cast strength or go home while understanding that there are other whiskeys at 46%. And, you know, they're perfectly fine. But you, your, your palate evolves so much where that's just easy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right and absolutely and and I don't know if we've if we've spoken this aloud to one another, but I I love the idea of creating a whiskey that is easy for people, but is also a slightly higher ABV than forty six percent, so that it's a nod to the people who are like you and me, who typically mm-hmm. drink cast strength to say. We, we see your 46% and we raise you, right? We're just sort of throwing them a bone a little bit to say, this is going to drink easy, but it's got a bit more kick for you. And I mean, the fact of the matter is, does this have a bit of kick? It has a little spice on the tongue, which is nice. 100%. And I was about to ask you this exact question okay. about the spice on the tongue. Yeah. I was going to ask you, where do you find the first fill bourbon cask maturation in this whiskey. Because for me, that little bit of spice that runs down the middle of the tongue is speaking to that fresh ginger, that bit of cinnamon from an active first fill bourbon cask. And instead of us diluting that out of it, Mm -hmm. we've brought it to 48.8, where it can still resonate, it can still tingle, it can still be pleasant, but it's still there, most importantly. Yeah, for for me, the you know that the, the nutmeg spice is is there for sure, but for me, the first fill bourbon, there's there's just some toasted coconut going on there, mm. which which I really mm. like. It's in the finish for me. Interesting. But but I think about this this part too. You know, we have you and I have casks that we filled with this distillery. We filled casks with a few different distilleries, right? And some first fill, some second fill. And it's interesting, the second fill stock that we have with them isn't ready yet. The first fill stock that we have most definitely is. And with this stuff that's only seven to nine years old, there's not even a hint of new makiness going on here. Oh, no. Right? No. And, and, and like it was a long-winded way of saying what I'm getting from the first Phil Bourbon is the fact that at seven to nine years of age, yeah. you're not getting new makiness. You're getting a fully realized whiskey here with depth and dimension. And if you don't want to pay attention to the depth or dimension, you can in, just enjoy it as a delicious whiskey that that is bringing that, that 
first fill bourbon wood to the fore while keeping that the natural salinity and apple-like fruitiness from the spirit along with it. Yeah. No, I, I agree with all of that. Yep. Yep. No arguments from me. I had a friend come by and we actually drank this out on the back deck. And it was a, it was a slightly warmer late fall day. But he had said, this is a summer sipper. Mm. This is one mm-hmm. sitting out back of your house, out front of your house, somewhere near your house. Later in a summer's day, the temperature's dropping, the sun is slowly setting. This would just round out your day. And I thought the fact that he was able to say that on a season, unseasonably warm late fall day speaks to those fruit components. Yeah. To how bright it can be, but how warming it can be and, and just satisfying. And and back to the word that you kept on using when you first started nosing this. There's an earthiness to this. There's there's mm, earth. There's mm-hmm. some while yes, it's bright and it's summery, there's also an anchor there. And if you want to focus on that. Right. This this is almost like the the three season room in someone's house. Right. It, it's good for for a bunch of seasons, uh, <laughs> n- not not just summer. And it's it's doing a lot. And for what I think the list price is eighty five bucks on this is just a solid drinker. Something to share for the holidays, man. Um, As you and I had been discussing on, it might have been a previous extra extra or a one nation under whiskey. I think it was an extra extra. It was about the gift giving uh, episode. There's a dram that you want to reach for when people first come into your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you want to welcome them to your house. You don't want to blow away their palate. You want to just warm up their palate. Give them something that will make them go, what is this? Could I have another one? Mm-hmm. This is that. This is that dram. You pour this for somebody walking in your house. They feel welcomed. They feel warmed. And hell, have another one, right? And and, and you mentioned the price a second ago, and that's why I started riffing in this direction. $85, $90 a bottle at $48.8. Have a couple. Yeah. Get get into the swing of things. Yeah. It, it, right, and this was the reason why I led that that local tasting with this bottling. It's the perfect introduction. It, it's exactly. It's the welcome dram. Like you know, I was welcoming these people into someone else's house, but you know, still <laughs> I was welcoming. <laughs> it is the pandemic. <laughs> you don't want to welcome them into your own house. Well. <laughs> I'll tell you, this was, this was a nice thing about this tasting that I loved. So as you know, I'm triple vaccinated. You're, you're going to be getting your booster uh, next week. The rule in the house was everybody had to be vaccinated and everybody had to have a negative at-home test hmm. before they can come. And you know what? No one said anything. said, I respect that. You're welcoming me into Seems your fair. house. I'll follow your <laughs> rules. And that's awesome. And that, you know, I'm not going to get political here, but regardless of what side of the fence you're on, if you're going to someone's house, you respect their rules. And if the rule is X, you follow X. And and I really like that. And everybody complied. And it was, it was, it was a great night. You said earlier about Tal and Tomer. 
triple vaccinated. Yeah. Came into the United States and did a little tour around the United States. Like couldn't have done it without We're going that. to be yeah, right. We're going to be living in a COVID world going forward. Mm-hmm. Let's keep ourselves safe and those around us safe. And let's see if we can keep traveling back to other countries and go share drams and foreign climbs together. Yep. Yep. Uh, Jason. Cheers to that, Joshua. Yeah, cheers cheers to that one. <laughs> it doesn't. Hold on, let's try it. How come you couldn't oh, do that? Oh, I, you've got a base. I have a base. You know what glass I have, Jason? I have the glass that <laughs> Travis William had gifted, and it's my one half to, to a broken heart. I've got my Joshua broken heart glass right beside me. I only pull it out on the most special of occasions, potentially a year in review episode. Oh, interesting. I thought you just wanted to break my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Early and often, I think, is the answer to that. So listen, Jason, I think it's high time we let our listeners go. I thank you, as always, for being my my partner in crime, uh, not just for the podcast, uh, but since the very beginning. A co-blogger, a co-business starter and founder and owner, (laughs) my best buddy, all the stuff. Uh, Thank you. Thanks to Tal and Tomer. Thank you. For for spending a week in the United States and for risking life and limb to be interviewed during a a, a pissing down storm in in New England. And, uh, And thanks as always... To our listeners, we wouldn't have a podcast without you. Well, I guess we would. We just enjoy talking to ourselves, talking (laughs) to one another. We we would, but we love having you all tune in. It makes it that even more special. So thank you. Uh, So we'll we'll see you uh, soon for an extra extra, then our year in review, then we'll take a break on the extra extra, and then we return. So anyway, enough talking, Jason. Let us bid one another a jolt. Chin chin. Two chins. God, your, your clang is terrible, Jason. I'm a man of a certain age. My clang is what my clang is. Ain't no clang but a chicken clang. Oh, that's terrible. It's terrible. Stop it. Stop it. All right. Speaking of stopping it. Can you hurry up and welcome us so that I can ask you a question about a movie? Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today and as always by my literary uh, expert uh, and scholar. Uh, you were just talking about James Carver and Jim. <laughs> well done. Well done. That, those have been perfectly butchered. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Raymond Carver and John Cheever. And Kilgore Trout. We were just Trout. discussing before we hit. The, and Kill Bill. Kilgore Trout. <laughs> is this thing on? What's happening? What, is, what are you doing, Jason? You can't hear that out my window? No. Okay, that's, that makes me feel better then, because I can hear it really loud. It sounds like somebody riding a washing machine up a hill. Should I start us over again? I think, so. I think it's perfect so far. <laughs>